Part Four, Chapters One and Two of Doctor Doolittle's Post Office. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Doctor Doolittle's Post Office by Hugh Lofting. Part Four, Chapter One, Parcel Post. One day, Gub Gub came to the doctor and said, "Doctor, why don't you start a parcel post?" Good heavens, Gub Gub! The doctor exclaimed don't you think i'm busy enough already what do you want a parcel post for i bet it's something to do with food said tutu who was sitting on the stool next to the doctors adding up figures well said gub gub i was thinking of sending to england for some fresh vegetables who there you are said tutu he has a vegetable mind but parcels would be too heavy for the birds to carry gub gub said the doctor except perhaps the small parcels by the bigger birds yes i know i had thought of that said the pig but this month the brussels sprouts will be coming into season in england they're my favorite vegetable you know after parsnips and i hear that a special kind of thrushes will be leaving england next week to come to africa it wouldn't be too much to ask them to bring a single brussels sprout apiece would it there will be hundreds of birds in the flight and if they each brought a sprout we'd have enough to last us for months i haven't tasted any fresh english vegetables since last autumn doctor and i'm sick of these yams and okras and african rubbish all right gub gub said the doctor i'll see what i can do we will send a letter to england by the next mail going out and ask the thrushes to bring you your brussels sprouts well that was how still another department the parcel post was added to the foreign mail's office of Fantippo. Gub-Gub's sprouts arrived, tons of them, because this was a very big flight of birds. And after that, many kinds of animals came to the doctor and asked him to send for foreign foods for them when their own ran short. In this way, too, bringing seeds and plants from other lands and birds, the doctor tried quite a number of experiments in planting, and what is called acclimatizing, fruits and vegetables and even flowers and very soon he had an old-fashioned window-box garden on the houseboat post office blooming with geraniums and marigolds and zinnias raised from the seeds and cuttings his birds brought him from england and that is why many of the same vegetables that grow in england can still be found in a wild state in africa they came there through gub gub's passion for the foods he had been brought up on a little while after that by using the larger birds to carry packages a regular parcel post every two months was put at the service of the fantippins and alarm clocks and all sorts of things from england were sent for king coco even sent for a new bicycle it was brought over in pieces two storks carrying a wheel each an eagle the frame and crows the smaller parts like the pedals the spanners and the oil can when they started to put it together again in the post office a part one of the nuts was found to be missing but that was not the fault of the parcel post it had been left out by the makers who shipped it from birmingham but the doctor wrote a letter of complaint by the next mail and a new nut was sent right away 
then the king rode triumphantly through the streets of Antipo on his new bicycle, and a public holiday was held in honor of the occasion. And he gave his old bicycle to his brother, Prince Wallabala, and the parcel post which had really been started by Gub-Gub was declared a great success. Some weeks later the doctor received this letter from a farmer in Lincolnshire. Dear sir, thank you for your excellent weather reports. By the help I managed to raise the finest crop of Russell sprouts this year, ever seen in Lincolnshire. But the night before I was going to pick them for market, they disappeared from my fields. Every blessed one of them. Oh, I don't know. Maybe you could give me some advice about this. Your obedient servant, Nicholas Scroggins. Great heavens, said the doctor. I wonder what happened to them. Who, Gub-Gub, ate them, said Tutu. Those are the sprouts, no doubt, that the thrushes brought here. Dear me, said the doctor. That's too bad. Well, I dare say I'll find some way to pay the farmer back. For a long time Dab-Dab, the motherly housekeeper, had been trying to get the doctor to take a holiday from his post-office business. You know, doctor, said she, you're going to get sick. That's what's going to happen to you, as sure as you're alive. No man can work the way you've been doing for the last few months and not pay for it. Now you've got the post office going properly, why don't you hand it over to the king's postman to run and give yourself a rest? And anyway, aren't you ever going back to Puddleby? Oh, yes, said John Doodlelittle. All in good time, Dab-Dab. But you must take a holiday. The duck insisted. Get away from the post office for a while. Go up the coast in a canoe for a change of air, if you won't go home. Well, the doctor kept saying that he would go, but he never did, until something happened in the natural history line of great enough importance to take him from his post office work. This is how it came about. One day, the doctor was opening the mail addressed to him, when he came upon a package about the size and shape of a large egg. He undid the outer wrapper, which was made of seaweed. Inside, he found a letter and a pair of oyster shells tied together like a box. Somewhat puzzled, the doctor first read the letter, while Dab-Dab, who was still badgering him about taking a holiday, looked over his shoulder. The letter said, Dear Doctor, I am sending you enclosed some pretty pebbles which I found the other day while cracking open oysters. I never saw pebbles of this color before, though I live by the seashore and have been opening shellfish all my life. My husband says they're oysters' eggs, but I don't believe it. Would you please tell me what they are? And be careful to send them back, because my children use them as playthings, and I have promised them they shall have them to keep. Then the doctor put down the letter, and taking his penknife, he cut the seaweed strings that neatly held the oyster shells together. And when he opened the shells, he gave a gasp of astonishment. Oh, Dab-Dab! He cried. How beautiful! Look, look! Pearls! Whispered Dab-Dab in an odd voice, gazing down into the doctor's palm. Pink pearls! My, aren't they handsome! Murmured the doctor. And did you ever see such large ones? Each one of those pearls, Dab-Dab, 
is worth a fortune. Who the dickens is this that sent them to me anyhow? And he turned to the letter again. It's from a spoonbill, said Dab-Dab. I know their writing. They are a sort of a cross between a curlew and a snipe. They like messing around lonely seacoast places, hunting for shellfish and sea worms and stuff like that. Well, where is it written from? asked the doctor. What do you make that address out to be, at the top of the page there? Dab-Dab screwed up her eyes and peered at it closely. It looks to me, she said, like the Harmerton Rocks. Where is that? asked the doctor. I have no idea, said Dab-Dab. But Speedy will know. And she went off to fetch the skimmer. Speedy said, yes, he knew. The Harmerton Rocks were a group of small islands off the coast of West Africa, about sixty miles further to the northward. That's curious, said the doctor. I wouldn't have been so surprised if they had come from the South Sea Islands. But it is rather unusual to find pearls of any size or beauty in these waters. Well, these must be sent back to the Spoonbill's children, by registered parcel post, of course. Though, to tell you the truth, I hate to part with them. They are so lovely. They can't go before tomorrow, anyway. I wonder where I can keep them in the meantime. One has to be frightfully careful with gems as valuable as these. You had better not tell anyone about them, Dab-Dab, except Jib the Watchman and the Push-Me-Pull-You. They must take it in turns to mount guard at the door all night. Men will do all sorts of things for pearls. We'll keep it a secret and send them right back first thing tomorrow morning. Even while the doctor was speaking, he noticed a shadow fall across the desk at which he was standing. He looked up, and there at the information window was the ugliest man's face he had ever seen, staring in at the beautiful pearls that still lay on the palm of his hand. The doctor, annoyed and embarrassed, forgot the first time in his post-office career to be polite. What do you want? he asked, thrusting the pearls into his pocket. I want a postal order for ten shillings, said the man. I'm going to send some money to my sick wife. The doctor made out the postal order and took the money, which the man handed through the window. There you are, he said. Then the man left the post office, and the doctor watched him go. That was a queer-looking customer, wasn't he? He said to Dab-Dab. He was indeed said the duck. I'm not surprised his wife is sick, if she has a husband with a face like that. I wonder who he is, said John Doodlelittle. It isn't often we have white men coming in here. I don't much like the looks of him. The following day the pearls were wrapped up again the way they had arrived, and after a letter had been written by the doctor explaining to the spoonbill what the pebbles really were, they were sent off by registered parcel post to the Harmerton Rocks. The bird chosen to take the package happened to be one of the thrushes that had brought the Brussels sprouts from England. These birds were still staying in the neighborhood, and though a thrush was a somewhat small bird to carry parcel post, the package was a very little one, and the doctor had nobody else to send. So, after explaining to the thrush that registered mail should be guarded very carefully by postmen, 
the doctor sent the pearls off and then he went to call on the king as he did every so often and in the course of conversation john doolittle asked his majesty if he knew who the white stranger might be that had called at the houseboat for a postal order after he had listened to the description of the man's cross-eyed ugly face the king said yes he knew him very well he was a pearl fisherman who spent most of his time in the pacific ocean where fishing for pearls was more common but the king said he often came hanging around these parts where he was known to be a great villain who would do anything to get pearls or money jack wilkins was his name the doctor on hearing this felt glad he had already got the pink pearls safely off to their owner by registered mail then he told the king that he hoped shortly to take a holiday because he was overworked and needed a rest the king asked where he was going and the doctor said he thought of taking a week's canoe trip up the coast toward the harmerton rocks well said his majesty if you are going in that direction you might call on an old friend of mine chief nyam nyam he owns the country in those parts and the harmattan rocks themselves he and his people are frightfully poor though but he is honest and i think you will like him all right said the doctor i'll call on him with your compliments the next day leaving speedy cheapside and jip in charge of the post office the doctor got into his canoe with dab-dab and paddled off to take his holiday on the way out he noticed a schooner the ship of jack wilkins the pearl fisherman at anchor near the entrance to fantippo harbor toward evening the doctor arrived at a small settlement of straw huts the village of chief nyam nyam calling on the chief with an introduction from king coco the doctor was well received he found however that the country over which this chief ruled was indeed in a very poor state for years powerful neighbors on either side had made war on the old chief and robbed him of his best farming lands till now his people were crowded on to a narrow strip of rocky shore where very little food could be grown the doctor was particularly distressed by the thinness of the few chickens pecking about in the streets they reminded him of old broken-down cab horses he said while he was talking to the chief who seemed to be a kindly old man speedy swept into the chief's hut in a great state of excitement doctor he cried the mail has been robbed the thrush has come back to the post office and and says his package was taken from him on the way the pearls are gone chapter two the great mail robbery great heavens cried the doctor springing up the pearls gone and they were registered too yes said speedy here's the thrush himself he'll tell you all about it and going to the door he called in the bird who had carried the registered package doctor said the thrush who was also very upset and breathless it wasn't my fault i never let those pearls out of my sight i flew straight off for the harmerton rocks but part of the trip i had to go over land if i took the shortest cut and on the way i saw a sister of mine whom i hadn't met in a long time sitting in a tree in the jungle below me and i thought it would be no harm if i went and talked to her a little while 
Sir, I flew down and she was very glad to see me. I couldn't talk properly with the string of the package in my mouth, so I put the parcel down on the bough of the tree behind me, right near me, you understand, and went on talking to my sister. And when I turned around to pick it up again, it was gone. Perhaps it slipped off the tree, said the doctor, and fell down into the underbrush. It couldn't have, said the thrush. I put it into a little hollow in the bark of the bough. It just couldn't have slipped or rolled. Somebody must have taken it. Dear me, said John Doodlittle. Robbing the mails, that's a serious thing. I wonder who could have done it. I'll bet it's Jack Wilkins, the cross-eyed pearl fisherman, whispered Dab-Dab. A man with a face like that would steal anything. And he was the only one, besides us and Speedy, who knew the pearls were going through the mails. It's Wilkins, sure as you're alive. I wonder, said the doctor. They do say he is a most unscrupulous customer. Well, there's nothing for it, I suppose, but that I should paddle back to Fantippo right away and try to find him. The post office is responsible for the loss of registered mail, and if Mr. Wilkins took those pearls, I'm going to get them back again. But after this, we will make it a post office rule that carriers of registered mail may not talk to their sisters or anyone else while on duty. And in spite of the lateness of the hour, John Doodlittle said a hasty farewell to Chief Nyanayim and started off by moonlight for Fantippo Harbor. In the meantime, Speedy and the Thrush flew over the land by the shortcut to the post office. What are you going to say to Wilkins, Doctor? asked Dab-Dab as the canoe glided along over the moonlit sea. It's a pity you haven't got a pistol or something like that. He looks a desperate character, and he isn't likely to give up the pearls without a fight. I don't know what I'll say to him. I'll see when I get there, said John Doodlittle. But we must be very careful how we approach, so that he doesn't see us coming. If he should pull up his anchor and sail away, we would never be able to overtake him by canoe. I tell you what, Doctor, said Dab-Dab. Let me fly ahead and do a little spying on the enemy. Then I'll come back and tell you anything I can find out. Maybe he isn't on a schooner at all at present. And we ought to be hunting him somewhere else. All right, said the Doctor. Do that. It'll take me another four hours at least to reach Van Tippo at this pace. So Dab-Dab flew away over the sea, and John Doodlittle continued to paddle his canoe bravely forward. After about an hour had passed, he heard a gentle sort of whispered quacking high overhead, and he knew that his faithful housekeeper was returning. Presently, with a swish of feathers, Dab-Dab settled down at his feet, and on her face was an expression which meant great news. "'He's there, Doctor, and he's got the pearls all right.' said she i peeped through the window and i saw him counting her out from one little box into another by the light of a candle the villain grunted the doctor putting on all the speed he could let's hope he doesn't get away before we reach fantippo don was beginning to show before they came in sight of the ship they sought this made approaching the schooner without being seen extremely difficult and the doctor went all the way around the island of no man's land so as to come upon the ship from the other side where he would not have to cross so large an open stretch of sea paddling very very softly 
he managed to get the canoe right under the bow of the ship. Then, tying his own craft so it couldn't float away, he swarmed up the schooner's anchor chain and crept onto the boat on hands and knees. Full daylight had not yet come, and the light from the lamp could be seen palely shining up the stairs which led to the cabin. The doctor slid forward like a shadow, tiptoed his way down the stairs, and peered through the partly open door. The cross-eyed Wilkins was still seated at the table, as Dab-Dab had described, counting pearls. Two other men were asleep in bunks around the room. The doctor swung open the door and jumped in. Instantly Wilkins sprang up from the table, snatched a pistol from his belt, and leveled it at the doctor's head. Move an inch, and you're a dead man, he snarled. The doctor, taken aback for a moment, gazed at the pistol muzzle, wondering what to do next. Wilkins, without moving his eyes from the doctor for a second, closed the pearl box with his left hand and put it into his pocket. While he was doing this, however, Dab-Dab sneaked in under the table, unseen by anyone, and suddenly she bit the pearl fisherman in the leg with her powerful beak. With a howl, Wilkins bent down to knock her off. "'Now's your chance, doctor!' yelled the duck, and in a second while the pistol was lowered, the doctor sprang onto the man's back, gripped him around the neck, and with a crash the two of them went rolling on the floor of the cabin. Then a tremendous fight began. Over and over and over they rolled around the floor, upsetting things in all directions, Wilkins fighting to get his pistol hand free, the doctor struggling to keep it bound to his body. Dab-Dab hopping and flying and jumping and flapping to get a bite in on the enemy's nose whenever she saw a chance. At last, John Doolittle, who for his size was a very powerful wrestler, got the pearl fisherman in a grip of iron where he couldn't move at all. But just as the doctor was forcing the pistol out of his enemy's hand, one of the other men, who had been aroused by the noise of the fight, woke up, and leaning out of his bunk from behind the doctor's back, he hit him a tremendous blow on the head with a bottle. Stunned and senseless, John Doolittle fell over in a heap and lay still upon the floor. Then all three men sprang on him with ropes, and in a minute his arms and legs were tied, and the fight was over. When he woke up, the doctor found himself lying at the bottom of his own canoe, with Dab-Dab tugging at the ropes which bound his wrists to get him free where is wilkins he asked in a dazed sleepy kind of way gone said dab-dab and the pearls with him the scoundrel as soon as they had dumped you in the canoe they pulled up the anchor hoisted sail and got away they were in an awful hurry and kept looking out to sea with telescopes and talking about the revenue cutter i guess they are wanted by the government for a good many bad deeds i never saw a tougher-looking crowd of men in all my life see i've got the rope around your hands free now you can do the rest better yourself does your head hurt much it's a bit dizzy still said the doctor working at the rope about his ankles but i'll be all right in a little presently when he had undone the cord that tied his feet john dolittle stood up and gazed over the ocean and there on the skyline he could just see the sails of Wilkins' schooner disappearing eastward. Villain! was all he said between his clenched teeth. End of Part 4 Chapter 2